So I'd like to start with a little prayer and just ask God to guide us as we talk. Loving God, as we talk about delivering whole person care to your people, I pray that your spirit will be with us. Um, guide us as we talk and um, bring those that uh, you would like to influence by what we have to say. Thank you. Amen. So the way we wanted to present this was to start with a little case of a patient that I dealt with on the wards. Um, and then Kathy's going to kind of put together the model that she helped develop at Loma Linda for delivering whole person care. And then I will wrap it up by applying that model to the case that, that I saw. So, um, as a nephrologist, I not only take care of kidney patients, but I also rotate on the wards as, as a chief in the internal medicine section. And so just to describe how we do our ward work, our wards um, are comprised of four teaching teams with usually one resident and two interns and usually two students. And um, so it was in this role about two weeks ago that I saw a 33-year-old gentleman who had come to the hospital with chief complaint of flank pain. Uh, he had been vacationing in Mexico with, um, he had gone to a party, was down visiting his girlfriend near Cancun. He was in the poor section of Cancun, which uh, he told me is just pathetic compared with the rich section of Cancun. And um, came back with a, a very bad case of diarrhea. He had seen the physicians down there who had given him some antibiotics and some anti-motility agents and uh, unfortunately continued to have diarrhea. Um, thought he was getting a little better, but uh, then just before arriving at our emergency room, just really kind of felt so much worse that he felt like, you know, I've got to see somebody. So he came to our emergency room and there discovered to have an elevated creatinine of 2.6. Uh, he had an orthostatic hypotension. Um, his exam was, was mostly significant for flank pain when you pounded on his back. His belly was a little bit uh, tender, but uh, otherwise was pretty unremarkable. He's a very muscular man, was a weightlifter, um, tall and, and handsome, and, and uh, just uh, otherwise a picture of health. Had very little other medical problems, was on uh, an antidepressant for some post-traumatic stress disorder, but otherwise was um, pretty healthy. The emergency room gave him two liters of normal saline. Um, and he was continued on a rather rapid normal saline drip in the hospital. Um, but unfortunately, over the next three days, there was very little improvement of his symptoms uh, of flank pain. And his creatinine continued to go up. Uh, we did a CT scan in the emergency room. It was negative for any kidney stones. An ultrasound showed no hydronephrosis. And, um, and the uh, days wore on. It was a Sunday, 
and I was rounding with my team. I tend to like to round at the bedside, so we will surround the bed. One of us will greet the patient and, and just, you know, explain that we're going to talk about him. And we like to include the patient in our rounds. And um, so this morning was Sunday morning. It was the fourth day of this patient's hospital stay, and his creatinine had risen steadily since then. And um, we were starting to talk about doing a kidney biopsy on him because we were worried that there may be something more than this just plain diarrhea and volume depletion going on. So the student had presented the case very nicely and at the end said, um, and the creatinine continues to go up. And the patient who is an LVN understood that and you could just see that he was just crestfallen. Uh, there was a tear in his eyes and here's this big macho guy um, crying in front of us. And with that, I'll leave the case and let Kathy sort of present this model that she's helped develop. And we'll come back to the case afterward. So in recent years, uh, there has been a renewed desire at Loma Linda University to teach and mentor uh, medical students and other students on campus through all of the schools in how we provide whole person care and also include the employees in that as well. And we've wanted to do that in a consistent way because up until a few years ago, if somebody from the East Coast or Africa were to call and say, so how does Loma Linda do whole person care? Uh, the response would have been based on whoever they happened to, to talk to because we didn't have a Loma Linda way of doing it. And so uh, Several years ago, uh, there was a group formed of about a dozen people led by Dr. Carla Gober. Uh, Dr. Gober is the director for the Center for Spiritual Life and Wholeness. And she pulled together a group of 12 of us from across campus, both on the university side and the healthcare side, to say, how can we do this in a way that actually applies to all of the disciplines on campus? And uh, and that it's something memorable and, and that we can teach it easily and then people will be able to remember it. Um, so we have developed the CLEAR model and in the last couple years it's evolved a little bit. We've tried to refine it a little bit more and uh, we use this with every single employee who comes to work at Loma Linda and uh, we now are teaching it in the curriculum for both first and second year medical students and then this year it's being uh, also now taught with nursing students and physical therapy students, all of our allied health students across campus. So uh, just one other thing in terms of introduction on the model. We tried to come up with something that like I said, would be used across the disciplines. And because of that, we realize it's not co comprehensive. All right, this is just like a, a beginning point for how we would teach this. A mental health professional would use it differently than a physician or a dentist. Uh, we loved the fact that we had uh, someone from the dental school on our committee and so many times we'd be talking about patients in the hospital and he would raise his hand and say, uh, <laughs> what about the dentists? And so we, we always had to keep 
thinking about our language so that it would be applicable across. Um, but we would never expect somebody to sit down with this model and go through every question. It's just, uh, like I said, some ideas of how we might go about it. So let's first of all look at the bottom of that uh, beginning page where you begin to see the whole person care model. Our goal with this is to create an atmosphere of compassion exemplified by the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ. What we want to do is to introduce people to Jesus. And so the way that we do that, uh, first of all, is to connect. And you see that summary statement is to connecting intentionally with God, self, and others. Second is listen, being fully present in a sacred time of sharing. Thirdly, we explore, inviting whole person conversations. Then we acknowledge, empathizing and communicating understanding. And lastly, respond, sharing resources that affirm strength and offer hope. That's our clear model. We think it's pretty easy to remember. In fact, for me, what was so exciting about it is sometimes you get an acronym and afterwards you're sitting there going, what did that L mean? You know? And this is something that from the time that our committee uh, finished it, um, that we were able to easily remember what we were talking about. So I want to start uh, then with the connect piece. Connecting intentionally with God, self, and others. Sometimes when we think about connecting, which seems like a very obvious thing when we're doing whole person care, we begin by thinking about how do we connect with that person. But in our model, we want to step back even further than that. Because when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we realize that he was first connecting with his father. In fact, there's a, a quote in the ministry of healing when it talks about uh, as Jesus was approaching the pool of Bethesda, when the man was there by the pool that was paralyzed, uh, it says Jesus was walking alone in apparent meditation and prayer. He came to the pool. And I think that's just a perfect example. So before we connect with the patient, we have to be in connection with God. And uh, that's our very first connection piece. Then we find ways to connect with that patient. We may want to connect with them in their environment, you know, to say, oh, you know, incredible flowers there by your bedside, uh, you know, and that helps to connect them. We want to connect them to other people in their family if possible, or if there's uh, some uh, struggles or relationship issues. We want to connect them with God. So there's all types of dimensions involved in that connect piece. Uh, continuing on with the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, Ellen White talks about the fact that Jesus then came to the pool. He saw all of the people around the pool. And, uh, and then she says, the sick man was lying on his mat and occasionally lifting his head to gaze at the pool when a tender, compassionate face bent over him. So here's Jesus connecting with this man. He didn't just stand up above him. He bent over. He was connecting with him in very significant ways. 
another Bible story that I think of is the woman at the well when Jesus came up and she was drawing water. And he said to her, give me something to drink. And we're told that if he had approached her in a different way, she might have immediately walked away. But there was, he knew how to connect with people, and that's so important. Uh, the other piece of connection that I think is very important is being connected with ourselves, being aware of our own biases, our own emotional state, so that if we're going into a room and we're in a tremendous amount of stress or, uh, or we're apprehensive about something, to just name that and be aware of it as we go in and turn it over to God in prayer. All right, the L stands for listen. And again, that seems pretty self-explanatory, that when we're going to have a significant uh, uh, interaction with someone, we've got to listen well. One of the things I like to say is that we listen with our eyes and our ears and our heart. Because so many times, the words that someone says to us are not necessarily what's happening in their heart. If you heard Dr. Mills this morning, he talked about the patient who came in with the dermatological emergency, and yet that wasn't what it was about. Because Dr. Mills was listening with his heart, he was able to ask what else is going on. And again, in the life of Jesus, um, when, when he asked the man, do you want to be well? Then this man poured out his story about how he, he wants to, but he can't get into the pool because he doesn't have anybody there to help him, and there's always people who get in first. And Jesus stood there and listened to that story. It's a gift of listening. E stands for explore. Uh, now, in the model, you'll see that this one is, is pretty extensive, and this is where each discipline will have, you know, each discipline has their own assessment process and kind of their own uh, H&P, so to speak. And so that would be included in the explore section. But what we've tried to do is come up with the very basic questions that might be asked. So we're going to ask about the patient's physical story, uh, their intellectual story, their emotional story, and their spiritual story. Now, uh, Embedded into this explore section is our spiritual history. This is, a, again, like I said, the very basics that we might want to ask someone within their spiritual story. And that's uh, another acronym within our acronym, and this is SOUL, uh, Sources of Strength. So the first question that we might want to ask someone after we've found out about their physical symptoms and what it is that they're coming and presenting for is to say, what are your sources of strength? To, it's a wonderful question to open things up, and it allows people an opportunity to, uh, to talk about spiritual things or not. And we let them direct the conversation. So if I were to ask a patient, what are your sources of strength? And they said, oh, my family, you know, my kids are so important to me, and I, uh, it's just, that's what helps to keep me going then I might say to them, uh, after I acknowledged that, to be able to you know, talk about their family, but then to say, so I noticed that you didn't mention anything about a faith community or God. Is that something that's a part of your life? 
So I wouldn't want to just ignore that if they didn't mention it, because sometimes people will say, oh yes, that's terribly important to me. I just didn't, mention, I didn't think to mention it here. Other times, people might say something like, well, no, um, I, I used to go to church, but it's not part of my life anymore. And then I would want to follow up with that as well, to say something like, so how's that working for you? Because many times when people are presenting at a time of crisis in their life, they are at a point of wanting to re-explore that, even if they might have closed the door on it earlier. The uh, second question that we would ask is, what religion, faith group, or belief system has shaped you the most? Now, we asked that question specifically that way because we felt like the question, what denomination do you belong to, is a little bit too narrow because uh, there are people who may be, uh, they may have been baptized a member of the Adventist church, but they no longer attend. So they might really technically have membership, but it's not really where they're at right now. Or conversely, you might have somebody who's been attending an Adventist church, but they've never been baptized, and they're not officially a member. And so we felt like this question is broad enough to say, you know, what is it that's shaping you that has brought you to where you are? And it also allows more of an open-ended conversation for people to be ex able to explain where they're coming from. The third question is, what significant life events uh, do you want us to be aware of as we care for you? This is a question that's not included in a lot of the spiritual histories that you'll find if you do research on the subject. And we felt like it was important because there is research that shows that a person's physical health is affected by many of the uh, emotional uh, events that are taking place in their life. Uh, we had an interview with a, a class of medical students not too long ago, it was uh, last spring, where we, had inter we were interviewing a woman about her medical case. And at the very end of the interview, we were coming to this and we asked her, are there any other you know, important events in your life that we should know of as we care for you? And she sat for a moment and then her eyes got kind of teary and she said, um, well, my, my sister just died about a month ago. And it wasn't pertinent to her medical case at the moment. And it, but if we had not asked that question, we might not have heard about that. So I think it, it sometimes gives us some important insights into where a person is, is living. L stands for uh, links to care. So what religious practices or beliefs do you have that would be important for us to know about as we take care of you? Now, this is a question that, uh, actually these four questions are all asked in our uh, admission assessment when patients come to Loma Linda, but we are encouraging all of the disciplines to incorporate this. But, uh, so this question would get at things like, depending on what a person's uh, religious background is, if they were Jehovah's Witness, that would be the place where we would learn that they didn't want blood products. Um, it might be that uh, if a patient was a Muslim, that they would want to talk about a time for their prayer five times a day. Um, if someone's a devout Christian, they want some quiet time in the morning to be able to pray, we would ask them at that point. Uh, many of our nurses will ask the patient if they would like someone to pray with them. 
So that is the explore section for the spiritual piece. Then we would ask them about their relational story and other aspects of care. That explore section can expand a lot depending on the discipline that you're in, which area that you go into. But that's also where you would do your physical assessment and those kinds of things. Then we get, um, oh, and I'll just uh, go back to that pool of Bethesda. Um, when, when Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well? That was the beginning of his exploration uh, with the woman at the well. It's an interesting conversation that takes place when you read the story in John 4 because Jesus', Jesus exploration took place in the context of making statements. Uh, it wasn't a series of questions, and I guess maybe because he was divine and he knew exactly where he was going, he knew this woman's story. He had a, uh, a little different experience than we have. Sometimes we have to ask more questions, but he, he was able uh, you know, to say, if you knew who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him for water. And it piqued her interest and her curiosity. And uh, that was part of that explore section for Jesus and her story. Acknowledge. I think even though this looks small in the, the model, I believe it is one of the most important pieces of whole person care. When someone is hurting, and suffering, if they don't feel like somebody has heard them, they are not able to move on. And so many times we get in the habit of just reassuring people and you know, patting them on the hand and say everything's going to be fine. And we miss this opportunity to really acknowledge where somebody's at. Um, if you can remember back to school, when you were in school, like the very, very worst test you ever took. Uh, I don't know if you ever had the experience where you actually walked out of a test and you thought, I might have just failed that. You know, it's not fun. It's a horrible place to be. And if you go home to your family or roommate or whatever, and they say, how did it go? And you say, I think I just failed. The most likely response you will get from them is what? Oh, no, you did it. You did fine, right? <laughs> this is what happens, and it's so frustrating if you feel like somebody hasn't heard what you said. Um, several years ago, my kids were outside playing, and our daughter fell and skinned her knee. And she came running into the house. I was in the kitchen making dinner, and she came in, she was crying, she says, Mom, I need a Band-Aid. And I looked down and there was no blood. I said, you know what, I think you'll be okay. And uh, she went into the other room, I happily went back to making dinner, and a few minutes later, I heard her sobbing in the other room. And my mother's heart finally came to life. And I went and got a Band-Aid. I sat down beside her. I said, Lisa, I am so sorry. Because I have had scrapes before, and I know they can hurt really badly even when they're not bleeding, right? You've had road rash before. And so I opened that Band-Aid, and I put it on her knee. 
and she was healed. <laughs> now, was it the Band-Aid that made her better? No. It was the fact that mom said, I believe you, I know it hurts. And that's the acknowledgement piece that we're talking about. It is no different with people's hearts. When people are going through a crisis, whether it be an emotional crisis or a physical crisis, they want somebody to come alongside them and say, I'm so sorry. This must be so difficult. That is the acknowledgement piece. It does not take very long. And it is a learned response. For some people who are the NFs in the group, the group that are in the Myers-Briggs testing, it comes naturally. For those of us who are not NFs, we have to learn to do it because my natural response is to do what I do with my daughter. And sometimes when a patient comes to us and they tell us, I'm so scared, you know, it's our instinct to reach out and pat them on the hand and say, oh, everything's going to be just fine. We're going to take good care of you. But that acknowledgement piece is, more, is really what they need. Just patting them on the hand is not going to be all that helpful. All right. Uh, Jesus, in the story of the woman at the well, uh, when he said, go call your husband, and she says, oh, I have no husband. That acknowledgement piece for Jesus was when he said, you're right. You have no husband. It's, uh, it's not in quite the same way that we're talking about here, but he took that moment to acknowledge it, to name that for her, and to, to let him know that uh, he had heard her. In Ministry of Healing, uh, we have this quote that we have heard so many times, and it's so important. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. That's respond, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But she goes on there and says, if less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick cared for, and the sorrowing and bereaved comforted. We are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That, to me, is that acknowledgement piece. We come in, we bring comfort, we weep, we rejoice. That is acknowledgement. And then finally, we talk about the respond section of the model. This is the opportunity that we have to actually share our own story. And this is where uh, we have that opportunity uh, to point people to Jesus. So uh, first of all, we can talk about their own personal resources, what kinds of strengths they have. We can talk about professional resources. We can refer them if they need something greater than we have, I mean, in a, in a purely medical sense, uh, a, a primary care doctor might refer then to a specialist at that point. But when we come to the spiritual piece, the spiritual part of the model, this is where we have an opportunity to share our own story. So the chance that we have to say to them, you know, one of the things that really helps me when I'm afraid is to pray. Would it be, our, would it be helpful if I would pray with you? Uh, it's the opportunity that we have to share our own faith stories with our patients, uh, to be able to talk about experiences where God has helped me through a time of crisis in my life. 
that might be similar. I think uh, when we talk about the faith story, which is something that uh, we heard in a seminar from the Christian Medical and Dental Society a number of years ago, the idea would be to identify the emotion that that other person is experiencing. Uh, we may have never been through the experience that that person is going through, but we've probably experienced a similar emotion. And then to find a time in our life when God helped us through a time of crisis when we felt that emotion. So the, the key with a faith fat flag is that we keep the focus on the patient's story, but we might share a personal experience of how God helped us through that. So if a patient talked to me and said, I, I feel afraid, then I might be able to share and say, you know, I remember a time when I was really afraid. When our kids were uh, about six months old, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I remember lying in bed the night before the surgery, just wide awake, wondering if I would live to see my kids grow up, wondering if I would have a voice when I got done with surgery. And while I lay there, I remember the verse coming to me where Jesus says, I am with you always. And it wasn't as if God said, everything's going to be fine. But I did experience that knowledge of him saying, no matter what happens, I'm going to be with you. And I experienced peace. I was able to go to sleep. Now, that's one of my faith stories. It's very short. I'm a good sanguine. I could make that story last 10 minutes if I wanted to. <laughs> But in order for it to be helpful to that patient in my response, it's going to have to be short because we never want the patient to feel like they've shared their crisis and then we say, well, that's nothing. You ought to hear about the time I was afraid. <laughs> and then we take it to our, our story. So we want to keep it very patient, focused, and pointing them to God. So that is the respond. Now, when we look at the stories in Scripture where we talk about how God, how Jesus did that, uh, I think of the woman at the well where she says, you know, we know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus simply says, I who speak to you am he. Oh, what a beautiful part of that story. And then in this, the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, the response there with Jesus is, arise, take up your mat and walk. So when we are taking care of those who are sick and suffering, I think our ultimate goal is to help them look to Jesus and, uh, and live. So that's just a real brief summary of our whole person care model, and now we'll let Jim finish it up. Thank you, Kathy. So back to our 33-year-old gentleman that we were rounding on. Uh, for those of you that weren't here earlier, this was a 33-year-old that had gone to Mexico, gotten a severe case of gastroenteritis, and returned, had um, acute kidney injury. We admitted him on the ward, and I was rounding with my team. Four days later, his creatinine was still rising, and we noticed uh, he had tears in his eyes. And so we stood around his bed um, with him tearful. I happened to be right next to him. I put my hand on his shoulder and uh, said, this is fairly difficult, I know. And I could tell he was fairly embarrassed being a macho guy. He had muscles that were, you know, kind of out to there. And uh, 
and crying was not exactly the persona he wanted to, to give. Um, I said, would it be all right if I come back after rounds and talk with you a little bit? Partly to buy time and partly because I think he didn't want a lot of an audience at this point. And so the team and I stepped out of the room. I had two medical students, two interns. I believe the senior was off doing something else. So I think there, was, there were the five of us. Um, and we paused outside of his room. And I said, you know, how are we going to approach this? And interestingly, two of the students had been through the religion class where they had just taught this clear model. And uh, one of them spoke up and said, well, thinking through the clear model, first connect. He said, you know, many of us prayed before we arrived here. So we've been connected with God. We've been connecting with this patient for the last four or five days. We know him pretty well. He knows us. Um, we also uh, needed to listen. And, and as we thought about it, you know, listening, as Kathy very nicely said, listening is not just with your ears, it's with your eyes. You know, he wasn't sobbing in bed, but the tears were clearly running down his cheek. And, and so listening involved seeing that. Um, we could see that there was hurt in his heart. Um, he didn't, he was a, an LVN, as I mentioned earlier, he knew what potentially was facing him if his kidney failure continued to progress, and he really didn't want dialysis. And uh, so we had listened to him, but we felt like we needed to listen more. We didn't quite understand what was behind those tears. So that was one of the things that we needed to do when we went back in to talk with him. Um, and then as we went on to explore, you know, we had gone around and around this medical condition. We'd done a, a CT and then followed it up again after he was hydrated with, a, with an ultrasound to make sure that he didn't have some obstruction given the flank pain that he had. We had taken a specimen of his urine and spun it down and looked at it and he had a few granular casts, but I wasn't completely convinced that this was acute tubular necrosis. I was a little worried about hemolytic uremic syndrome given the diarrhea and so forth. And, um, yet uh, didn't quite fit that well. And so as the creatinine continued to rise, we were, we were thinking of a biopsy. So we'd have explored this medically. Um, exploring it spiritually, we didn't quite feel like we had a handle on that. We really didn't know what was behind those tears and so forth. So we needed to do some more exploring. When it came to acknowledgement, we had briefly acknowledged it on rounds, said, you know, this is tough we realized we'd be kind of emotional if this was our kidney function as well. But that was kind of all we had done and, and felt probably there was more we could do there. And then as far as response, at this point, we hadn't really done much in terms of response other than to say we'll be back. Okay. So that, that was kind of cool that the medical students brought this up on their own and, uh, and actually were quite excited to apply this, this model. And uh, so it turns out, unfortunately, the medical students had a conference as soon as we were done with rounds and the, and the residents also. So I actually came back by myself. And I was able to explain to them what we did afterward. But uh, I sat down at his bedside in a chair 
and um, recapped a little of this. He was in a little better spirits. He wasn't crying anymore and seemed like he was eager to sort of get to the bottom of where we were going. Um, I, I did a little more exploration. I found out that part of his tears were that his cell phone battery had gone dead and he didn't have a charger. And he had tried to find somebody on the floor that had a charger. The phone in the room, yes, he could call a local call, but he needed to make a long-distance phone call, and particularly he wanted to call his girlfriend down in Mexico, and he couldn't do any of this. And so here he was in, in a medical crisis, and he had no connections with his friends or family. And that was a big issue. Um, I, I um, did a little bit more acknowledgement with him. I, I just told him, you know, I realize as a nurse, you know kind of where this may be heading. And I um, told him, I, I understand, and I would be emotional about it too. Um, and then responding, I said, let me see if I can find somebody with a charger. And uh, fortunately, he was ambulatory, and we took off. I, I, I knew my secretary had a cell phone similar to his. We went up to her office, took his phone, and uh, sure enough, she had, she had a phone like his, but unfortunately, the charger wasn't the right size, shape. So I said, you know, I, and I asked some of the other students around, and there was just nobody with the charger. So... Uh, um, I told him, just leave the phone with me. Let me see if I can figure this out. And uh, I had to go to a brief meeting. And then I took off to the store down the street and bought him a cell phone charger and brought it back to him. And he was just, just overwhelmed that I would even take the time to do that. But I gave him the phone back with the charger. And he said, oh, thank God. And I immediately said, you know, this guy has some belief here. And I sat down again with him. He said, I said, you know, you're going through something pretty tough. When I am in trouble, I, uh, I always turn to God and wondered if you would mind if I said a prayer. And he just latched onto me, reached out, grabbed my hand, and we prayed. And he prayed. And... Um, had just a, a real, I mean, talk about connection. That's really where you finally connect is when you pray. And um, so that's kind of how we worked through that clear model. I sat down with the students and explained what we had done, and, and they were kind of pleased at how it had ended. And the best part was the next day when I was arranging to do a kidney biopsy on him, um, his creatinine had started to come down. And... Um, so God gave him the healing we prayed for. <laughs> so we'd like to open it up to questions or comments to you all. Um, I think we've got, what, 10 more minutes or so. Um, any questions? Yes. That's certainly the goal. So let me just reiterate the comment. It appears to be a model that uh, not only the nurses, but the whole care team is involved in. And you probably had a question or comment otherwise. I, I, I was wondering how it's initiated. I guess, would it be the nurses who 
about it, and then the rest of the healthcare team look at the notes and see where they can discuss. Okay. So the question is, how is it initiated, and and where does it go to? Uh, is it something the nurses start, and then the rest of the team picks up on it and goes from there? And uh, I think I'll, I'll answer it, and then I'll also let Kathy uh, talk some about it. I think there are many levels at which this was developed for, uh, not just for nurses, for sure. Uh, it was developed. I think, if nothing else, in my context, to allow us to teach a, a, a sort of a comprehensive approach to looking at a person not just medically, but spiritually and, and so forth as well. So in my context, it just helps me remember as I'm interacting with the patient to think of all these different dimensions. But absolutely, it's also for the nurses to initiate. And, and I'll let, Kathy is a nurse. Uh, originally, she's also got her master's in clinical ministry. So uh, I'll let her talk about the nursing part. So the actual soul. Are you on? I thought so. <laughs> I'm not sure that. I thought I yeah, I did. Okay. So the actual soul. It's me. Let me give you this. All right. The spiritual assessment, the soul model, uh, is done at Loma Linda on the nursing assessment. Uh, so that's where that takes place, and then other people can look at that. But that's a very brief spiritual history. So like I said, this is just the very basics. We would hope that then other disciplines would look at that and maybe ask further questions if they want. Um, the family medicine uh, residency program is teaching all of their doctors to ask that soul assessment in their outpatient setting so that they have that as a baseline. So we're trying to get it used in many, many different settings. And because we're not telling everybody to ask the same questions, it's more of just a general guideline than a set of questions because we don't expect that we don't want people asking the same questions over and over. I guess part of the concern is you don't want it to be just a checklist that you go down, although a checklist is better than nothing, but, but ideally it would be something that's sort of custom-made. Thank you for the question. Okay, so the question is, how do you distinguish between this and a behavioral method, a behavioral medicine approach, spiritual versus psychological? Maybe, Kathy, you were in all the discussion, so I'll let you speak to that. Uh, I think mine's working now. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think we're wanting to differentiate them. We're, we're wanting to to think about all of those areas as we do the, the whole person care. And maybe I was working on my microphone and didn't catch the question well enough. Do you mind reiterating it? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we're doing empathetic care, uh, but we're calling it whole person care. I was just wondering, is there a distinction between this and the behavioral medicine uh, assessment? Is there something theologically, spiritually distinctive about it? Well, we're, uh, we are wanting in that connect piece, one of our goals is to connect that patient to God and certainly in our response piece to be able to point them to Jesus. 
I, I think, to me, as, a, as an internist, not as a behavioral medicine person, I, I would view anything that I do for my patient that is of a behavioral medicine content area in the context of, of a relationship with Jesus. And if it's not, if it's not somehow helping them understand more about God, I'm, I'm missing some of the core issues of that. So I, I'm, I'm thinking that it is hard to distinguish them because they do intermingle and mesh, but to me the core of what I do has to be about Jesus. So. And I think psychosocial and spiritual care are very much interwoven at the, at the core. I think you can do psychosocial care without spiritual care, but I'm not sure you can do spiritual care without good psychosocial care combined with it. Yes? So my question is in terms of who is being, you mentioned this about who exactly is being taught model. So is it first and second year medical students as well as nursing students? Are they clinical students? Just who, what's the span of yes. who you currently are teaching and who you would hope to teach through that or be a language that you would be Okay, so the question is, uh, who is being taught this model at Loma Linda? And uh, I believe, as of this fall, that it has gone now into all of the uh, school's curriculums. And so it's happening in allied health, um, dentistry, dentistry, I'm pretty sure is there already. Uh, certainly we do first and second year medical students. I catch all the nursing students when they come in their first year. Uh, so it's something now that's um, has broadened out to the whole campus. So the first year uh, medical students get it quite briefly in a class called Orientation to Religion and Medicine. And we present the model. We ask them to go out and do a patient interview based on the model. This is within the first two weeks that they're on campus. And so it's really their first patient exposure because uh, they are, well, they're doing two weeks of uh, shadowing of a clinical course. And then the second year students have a class called uh, the Art of Integrative Care. And during that, and that whole quarter, we spend talking about this model. And uh, we have about six or eight simulation labs where we'll bring in some physicians and have them interview a patient. And then we'll have the students do some role playing and interview so that we can talk about how we implement this model. And then once again, they do another patient interview. Yes, we're still in the, pro she was asking whether it's uh, going to be extended to other residency programs. And I think that we're still kind of in the rollout phase. The, the model was just, we, we finally got the board approval, I think, uh, last spring. And it's, it's been in this evolution process for a couple years where, because once we started teaching it, we realized there were maybe some little tweaks that we wanted to do with it. And uh, so now we're in the process of that whole education and getting that out across campus. And I think, uh, you know, depending on the various residency programs, uh, we'll be working individually with them to figure out how that happens. Sorry. Yeah. So, if I can get, so the, the 
Okay. So he's asking whether the, the clear model would be in the initial encounter with the patient. We actually believe that the clear model can be used in every interaction. It actually works when Jim and I talk with each other. And uh, I mean, you would do different parts of it at different encounters with the patient. But if we go in with that model of connecting, listening, exploring, uh, acknowledging and responding. It happens all of the time, whether it's a patient interaction or otherwise. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.